Welcome to the EMS Handout, your source for all things EMS. And now, let's welcome to the show your hosts, Bradley Dean, Eric McCullough, and David Blevins. Welcome back to another week of the EMS Handout Podcast. I'm your host, David Blevins, and we're doing things a little bit differently this week. I am recording the introduction while Bradley Dean has been hanging out at the North Carolina EMS Expo. So, before we get started, let's thank our podcast host, the Journal of Emergency Medical Services. Wow, the EMS Handoff is your source for all things EMS in the podcast first. Jim's has been an industry leader for many years. Make sure and go by and check out their website. And also check out all of our past episodes on their EMS Today podcast. Podcast. Now let's kick it over to Bradley Dean in North Carolina. Bradley. So thanks for uh, that introduction there, David. We're here at the uh, North Carolina EMS Expo. Uh, and so today I'm joined with, by a couple of people. I've got uh, Debbie Harrell, who's the Director of Professional Relations with uh, Strider Children's Hospital in Ohio, and Terrence Shahey from Dare County EMS. So I'm going to let them uh, kind of introduce themselves real quick and we'll start with you. Awesome. Um, as you said, my name is Debbie Harrell. I'm from Shriners Children's Ohio, which is a pediatric burn unit in Dayton, Ohio. My name is Terrence Sheehy. I'm the operations deputy chief in Dare County in the extreme eastern part of North Carolina. And so the reason I ask uh, Terrence to kind of join us is, uh, well, he's a, a Shriner and um, I'm also part of the, the Shriners with uh, Oasis out of Charlotte, and you're with Sudan in the eastern part. He's with Sudan in the eastern part. And so we do a lot to support Shriner Children's Hospital. But today we're here because we're talking specifically some stuff about EMS. But before we do, if somebody wanted to, to give to the burn center, how would they be able to do that? They can go to ShrinersOhio.org and um, go to the Ohio uh, page and you're welcome to donate to the hospital. So if you're out there uh, in Ohio listening to us, you can do that. If you're here in North Carolina, you can give to uh, Shriner Children's uh, Hospital or Shriner Children's Network, mm -hmm. uh, as it's now called, uh, by simply visiting uh, the website and being able to do that. So you were here doing a presentation about uh, pediatric burns. Right. So tell us a little bit about uh, your presentation and let's talk a little bit about pediatric burns and what EMS needs to know. Okay. Uh, for burn care. So um, burn care in general, it's uh, a lot of people don't get education about burn care. And if they do, it's kind of older information. So what I try to do is do burn outreach and give information on what's just current evidence-based in burn care. Shriners Children's Ohio is specifically a pediatric burn hospital. So that's what I focus on, our pediatric burns. And it's really just that initial stabilization that if you roll up onto any kind of burn, a house fire, scald, anything, that you have the tools that you need to stabilize that patient. Okay. So if, if an EMS person shows up, they've got a burn, and they start taking care of that burn, what are some of the, the immediate concerns they need to be concerned with? I mean, first of all, yes, we're going to stop the burn. Everybody wants to dump water on it, you know, and start that, that whole process of cooling. Right. But what does that do? So, um, honestly, the recommendation for stopping the burn is about five minutes. So, usually when first responders get there, the burning process has really already stopped. So, the number one role and goal is to keep a burn patient dry, to keep them warm and dry. It sounds counterintuitive. 
um, because we've been taught so long in the past that that burning sensation means that the burn's still happening, but that's just the painful sensation. So um, warm blankets, warm sheets, whatever you have to keep them warm and dry so they do, they do not become hypothermic in the beginning of a burn injury. It will complicate their course. So, so one of the things that I, I generally teach when I'm talking to people is, you know, the plastic blankets or get those aluminum foil blankets because the actual burning sensation or that um, the pain that's being caused is because the exposed nerve endings and that's the air that's Correct. blowing across it. Mm -hmm. And that's why they feel so good with that water over because it's coating it uh, so they're not being stimulated. So using those blankets to keep that air from blowing across and keep some warm. Yeah, absolutely. Go ahead. That, that protection, especially if you're putting a patient in the back of a helicopter, that hot jet exhaust coming onto that patient, uh, that that gives it that extra layer of protection to to where they're not suffering. So yeah, because you know, in the eastern part of the state, you, you know, y'all can speak you know specifically on that. Yes, yes. Uh, in the eastern part of the state, we are a a very resource poor area. Um, and so where uh, a lot of these patients aren't even going to a true burn hospital, they're going to a burn trauma unit at a receiving hospital because uh, it's so far for us to get to a burn hospital from the eastern part of the state. So we need to prevent hypothermia. Mm -hmm. um, and in preventing hypothermia, you know, so we got to keep them warm. What about the, the back of the truck? What do they need to do with the patient compartment area? Anything they can. I always tell people, if you are caring for um, a burn patient and you're not actively perspiring profusely, then your burn patient isn't warm enough. So you need to jack the heat up as hot as you can get it. If you can do warm fluids, just anything. Um, I always tell, you know, especially first responders, you're not there to do wound care, right? You're there to stabilize a burn patient. So keeping the burn covered allows you to focus on stabilization instead of getting kind of sidetracked by what the wounds actually look like. Yeah. So, you know, cover them up, keep them warm. Mm -hmm. That way you don't get distracted. Yeah. You can, you can start your IV. We'll talk about fluid therapy in mm -hmm. just a minute. Uh, but, but the other part of that is, is if you turn the heat up in the back of that truck, now, people laugh at me because I carry two and three uniforms and, and stuff in my car. And I, you know, some people say I just live in my car. Um, so I do that because if you, if you're sweating, you're doing the right thing. Uh, and I tell people it's okay to sweat, you know, take a shower when you get back to the station. That's absolutely true. So let's talk a little bit about fluid, uh, appropriate fluid. So, uh, fluid is very difficult. I will admit for first responders, um, the, the American burn association has, um, the advanced burn life support course, and it's evidence-based and it's what they, they promote. And based on that, it is based purely on age, not the percent burn, not how much they weigh, absolutely nothing. It takes all of the those calculations out. So if it's a 30-year-old, you run them at 500. And if it's a six-month-old, you run them at 125. And we're not teaching all that complex math with some of those other formulas. But when I speak to first responders and I ask who's <laughs> actively <laughs> using this, not one person uh, raises their hand. Um, again, the American Burn Association, Association sets those burn protocols. We just may not be the best at getting that information out to people and communicating. That's what I was going to say. The paramedic class I taught like three weeks ago, we did the burn education part. And it was all about the consensus burn formula oh, and, and making sure which we as providers, I think we overhydrate and we're doing some harm with these with these patients where we did some actual number stuff. But um, yeah, that's some definitely good information that 
it helps to to keep it simple because when you're in that really stressful situation, you don't see a lot of burn patients. And then when you have that, that that's some good stuff. So and it is and it is honestly in the conditions you you were working under, it's complex math. It's yes. it's not one step. Yes. <laughs> and any anytime you add complex math, you increase your chance of error. Yes. Um, and I tell people all the time, um, you guys won't you guys need to be in the total body surface area ballpark. You're never going to be completely accurate because you don't have soap and water and a washcloth and everything. Yeah. You're doing a guesstimation. And if you're doing a guesstimation, you shouldn't be using a formula that's based on accurate TDSA. Yeah. So say again, the amount of fluid, just you know, for people listening, because they're probably going, they probably didn't write it down fast. Enough. Okay. Um, anybody under the age of uh, it's goes adults 13 and greater is 15, 500, I'm sorry, is 500. Anybody between 13 and five, it's 250. Under that, it's 125. So if you're given more than 500 cc's of fluid, you're given too much. Given too much. Wide open is not good. Um, so there was a crew that was coming from, you know, through our, you know, one of our counties uh, not too long ago with a burn patient and they needed some assistance. So uh, I went to help them. I get in the back of the truck and I was like, you know, how much fluid have they had? Because I saw, you know, two bags laying on the floor. Oh my. But we just finished our second uh, second fluid. I was like, stop. You know, that, that's too much fluid. Let's, let's crank up the heat. Uh, this patient was burned about, you know, about 40%. So, I mean, not not horrible, but 40%, you know, second, oh, third sure. degree burns. Pretty serious. Yeah, still yeah. serious burns. You know, when you when you look at a patient's age, you know, fortunately, this was not a pediatric, but still, that's too much fluid for an adult. Um, so, if you're out there, you know, listening, please make sure that you pay close attention to the amount of fluid that you should be given. We are overhydrating too many of our our burn patients. I I definitely agree with that. Yes. So, uh, one of the things that we we haven't talked about is you mentioned assess the airway. Mm -hmm. um, so let's talk about the airway just a little bit. Well. It'll be interesting since you just taught a paramedic <laughs> course to find out. Um, so while the, the biggest uh, problem is education is really geared towards facial burns as opposed to what's actually going on with the airway. And, um, you know, we control airways. We become aggressive, distress leading to failure. But in many classes, they are clearly taught that if someone's face is burned, they have no eyelashes, no eyebrows. They, they have an airway issue. And there's so many other components that go into that. Mm -hmm. Where were they when they occurred inside, outside? Um, hoarse voice, respiratory distress, mental state, on and on and on. But again, because it's so visual, you see a face and you automatically almost panic that if I don't do something quickly, you know, I'm going to, I'm certainly not in the field with anyone. So if you feel like you need to do it, absolutely. But there's other things to take into account. So, you know, I tell I tell people, you know, if they were inside, enclosed in a room with superheated gases for a period of time, there may be an airway issue. Listen for that horse or raspberry mm -hmm. horse. Um, if they're totally unresponsive, then we need to look at, you know, other things with, you know, hydroxycobalamin and, and right. other things for those patients. But if, if they've got burned face, you know, that can happen from a number of things, a flash burn, Absolutely. just being, you know, yeah. in a in a house or a structure fire where they're able to, to escape. Think about it like this. You and I, if we turn our oven to broil and we let it heat up and it gets really hot, open the oven, stick your face down there and try to take a deep breath. You can't do it. 
because your, your reflexes prevent you from drawing in those superheated gases. Same thing happens with our victims. Mm-hmm. You know, so they're actually, their airway has probably been protected. Let's not screw it up by being too aggressive with the airway. I think it's a, it's sometimes it's a, it's something that we don't deal a whole lot with. And so it's overwhelming to the average paramedic. And so they grab onto to certain things. And where you talk about those, those facial burns and that airway involvement, I can think of one time in almost 26 years of doing this, uh, where you had that typical patient who was involved in a house fire. Um, and that was an, a, an individual that was having a psychological emergency and started that. That was their their exit plan. Um, but the average the average person, I think what you said, having that conversation with your patient, what is the story behind what's mm-hmm. going on and using those critical thinking skills? For me, hoarseness really is that definition, that patient that's starting to cough or you're hearing them hoarse or they're swallowing or asking for water. That's that's that real warning sign for somebody who that airway is, is closing. And we can always start with a non-rebreather and, and move on from there. Yeah. Right. You yes. don't have to immediately be aggressive, but and, and maybe even some humidified oxygen sure. you know, yeah. would, would mm-hmm. help with that. Um, so, you know, assess the airway. Don't get too aggressive with it, because it, when we sometimes when we become too aggressive with the airway, that leads to failure um, and then, you know, a dismal patient outcome. Yeah. And, and we certainly don't want that with any patient, no. especially with a pediatric patient, because they do have airway differences. Yes. Um so we've talked about burns and, and a little bit about burn care. Let's talk about identifying the, the burn types. Okay. So um, this one's kind of kind of difficult, I think, in the field. Again, um, when you look at like advanced burn life support in some of the courses, they really put a, a big emphasis on that, that you need to identify if it's you know, superficial, partial, or full. And initially when a burn has occurred, it hasn't demarcated yet. So I don't know if it's really um, worth your time to spend a lot of time deciding if it's a partial or superficial wound. Um, The one wound that anybody can look at is ESCAR, which is that leathery, Mm -hmm. you know, and the biggest thing to know about ESCAR is your skin loses its elasticity when you're covered with ESCAR. So if it is a big house fire and maybe you did get them intubated, you could immediately have trouble ventilating because they don't have chest expansion. So like that, that is the one burn I would say you need to identify as SCAR and the rest of it, it's just, I would call them all partial thickness. That makes it much simpler (laughs) than what a lot of people get, you know, pushed to do. Um, So that may be something that we need to come back and and look at one for documentation for data um, and, and making sure that we change and get stuff into our electronic health records that would you know, instead of forcing us to classify the burn, let's right. just, you know, just be able to have some type of description uh, of what's there because then that'll get done on the backside. I agree with that, yes. So sometimes burns happen because of an accident. Mm. Sometimes they're intentional. Correct. So um, let's talk about recognizing signs of, of child abuse. And, and what do y'all, in your outreach program, what do y'all teach EMS providers for you know, signs of child abuse and being able to recognize that. So a lot of this goes with, I mean, they're all traumas. So um, with children, typically, who are you getting the story from? A caregiver as opposed to maybe the child. So I think it's really important for any burn to look at, obviously, the circumstances, but developmentally. You know, can a six-month-old climb on the stove? Can, you know, a two-year-old give a six-month-old a bath? 
Um, so I think developmental goes into that. And I also think that uh, documentation, as you said, is really key um, because if these do go to court for prosecution, you should really document exactly what you're told and exactly what you see at the scene. Because if it is an abusive situation, the story is going to change. The most common one in pediatrics are going to be scalds more than anything. Um, and those are usually your toilet training children that this occurs with. So um, just identifying, you know, straight lines, delay in care, um, inconsistent stories. Um, a big one is the sibling giving the younger one a bath. Um, just there's so many things that that you need to be aware of. But the biggest thing is listen to what you're told and document exactly what you hear. So, you know, make sure, you know, providers do that. Those facts and not that conjecture opinion mm -hmm. is, is one of the big things that I see in talking with people. Yes, so they have to be objective facts. Yes. Not what well, I think I, I saw think, right. yes. mm -hmm. you know, uh, as part Gets of that. Into trouble. So you're with uh, the Burn Center in Ohio. Mm -hmm. So how... So we care for these patients and we take them to our, you know, trauma centers here uh, or burn care centers um, here. How, you know, sometimes these, these families can't, you know, afford some right. of the burn care, some of the aftercare. So let's talk about after that burn and what happens. So um, working at uh, Shriners Children's Ohio, working in the Shriners system, um, it's not like any other system you've ever been in. Um, I've been there for almost 40 years and I can't imagine being anywhere else. Um, so the Ohio hospital, we have a catchment area of almost 30 states. Um, we've received kids so far this year from 23 states, and I think we're up to 12 different countries. And the way we're able to do that is we are funded by donation. So there is truly no financial impact for our families for any of the care we provide. And the other thing with you, both of you gentlemen being Shriners, you support your local families with all that transportation, mm -hmm. um, helping them with housing, helping them with food money. That's what the local Shriners do. Um, if you write a check to the hospital, that's for that unco uncompensated care. But the other thing is all that transportation is provided. So if you refer a child from North Carolina, you guys are going to be the ones bringing them back and forth so they can continue all of that care. Anybody is free to get access to our care that we provide. So how would someone be referred into the system? So uh, for, for the emergent burn care, it's typically the emergency department or the trauma department is going to make that referral. What I think is so wonderful about talking to first responders um, is that the emergency departments may not know that we even exist. So I talked to them as well, but for first responders and go in and say, hey, we just had a lecture, you know, from Shriners Children's Ohio, you can access their care. And it's simply a phone call. Parents can call us, anyone can call. Um, you don't have to have a Shriner referral or like we did in the past, um, physicians, families, anyone. So so they can pick up, so if someone was burned in Dare County, um, went to a hospital down there, the ED physician could refer them. Absolutely. There. Absolutely. Now, if they need, you know, immediate, you know, closer burn care, you know, they might go to another burn center. But I mean, that might be, you know. Pediatric burns are such a niche. And yes, they are. A, yes, they know, are. To, to getting that child to where they need to, to be. So, And it's one of those that's um, very low volume, but high risk. Yes. So even if you have a burn center, you may not be comfortable with the two-year-old 60% burn. 
So you may take care of many other burns, but that's the one that maybe would benefit from going to a pediatric burn unit. Right. Now, there was one referred from Winston to To us, yeah, for for the rehabilitative needs. Um, If you went to our Facebook page, and I would love for everybody to follow it, um, Shriners Children's Ohio on on Facebook, um, they do a wonderful job of putting patient stories out there. And you'll see um, the young lady that that is on there. She was treated at one of your local hospitals and then came to us for all her um, reconstructive and rehabilitative needs. And she's a young, young child with a very, very large burn. And she will be requiring reconstructive surgery for many, many years. And we take care of that. Yeah. So, so, you know, burn care is not a one and done. Absolutely not. No. So, so she'll have, you know, care for, you know, the, you know, throughout her, you know, life as she becomes a teenager, as she grows, um, because all that reconstructive surgery, skin changes the, you know, everything underlying structures begin to change. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that for me is probably one of the best parts of, of being part of this organization as a Shriner is doing that good for a child to have that to have that successful life, to have that happy whole life of that continuum of care to make sure um, they they have the, the care that they need. That's uh, transitioning from a burn victim to a burn survivor. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, um, Terrence, any final thoughts? We'll kind of reference. I think that's my final thoughts is that's my favorite part about being a Shriner is uh, is being able to give back to the community in a different way being able to get with like-minded folks like like yourself and like others that are out there to to make a difference in our community but also we're making a difference across the country with helping out these families getting these families to these places and for for many people unfortunately in this day and age that that cost barrier for how do I get there where do I all these little things um and that for me is one of my favorite parts about being a shriner is making a difference and and making the most good so final thoughts? Um, I think uh, North Carolina EMS Expo for allowing me to come and speak um, at their conference um, and for the opportunity to be on this podcast with you, John. So uh, thanks for, for joining us on for the show today and, and talking a little bit about burns. Uh, we are at the North Carolina EMS Expo. Uh, we've got a, you know several more guests we're going to be interviewing over the next couple of days. Um, and if you're out there and you want to give, please go to the uh, Shriner Children's Network. And you'll be able to, to look on there and you can give in your local community. You can talk to uh, your local shrine club or one of the local uh, shrine temples. And until next time, thanks for joining us on the EMS handoff. Mm-hmm.